You're listening to a message from Severe Heights. To learn more about us, go to www.severeheights.org. Good morning. Good to see you. Uh, enjoyed the ball games last night. And uh, yeah, big hand. All right. <laughs> we are right in the middle of a series that we started a few weeks ago um, entitled No Matter What meaning the choice to rejoice. And we're spending some time looking at what the Apostle Paul has taught uh, in a letter that he wrote to uh, the city of Philippi, specifically a a church that broke out there. And I want to begin today with a statement that that I think you'll agree with. The statement is this, it's human nature to avoid things that we don't like. Like you think about it, things that we don't like, we tend to avoid. Perhaps uh, some of these items won't hurt you. And we avoid them, like, like a scary movie. Anybody avoid scary movies in the room? Yeah, I do too. Can't stand Casper, let's say, all right? Uh, scary movies. Um, some things we avoid we, uh, because they do have the potential to hurt us, like, like heights. Anybody in the room? Heights. Man, me too. All right, we're, we're together, all right? Um, some things that we avoid that we don't like are actually good for you. Show of hands, healthy eating and exercise. Show of hands. Yeah, okay. But it's true. It's human nature to avoid things that we don't like. Now, this statement is true because it's relevant to everyone in the room, if not now, uh, in the weeks and months to come. Um, Because I want to ask a question. I I don't like talking about today because I don't like what Paul has to say about this season that we all will face that we don't like. But here's the question. What do you do when when you realize there's nothing that you can do? Some of you right now, you think about your current circumstance, whether it's at home, in a marriage, looking for a church, a situation with a child, perhaps it's at work. Like, like what do you do when you don't know what to do and there's nothing you can do? Or, or even more relatable than that, what do you do when you find yourself stuck in a waiting room and you realize things aren't going to pan out the way that you hoped in the time frame that you hoped? As a matter of fact, you won't graduate when you want. You won't be in a relationship anymore. You won't have a job. You won't make the same income. You won't have a loved one around anymore. No phone calls, no casual lunches. You won't have the chance to retire at all, if not the next 10 years, and you won't have children of your own. Like, like this is the idea of what it's like to find yourself stuck in a waiting room. Um, And the problem is today, we're going to see how the Apostle Paul handles himself in a waiting room. And what he tells us can feel passive. It can feel like, okay, that's defense. And we would want to say, I've got my side of the story, and Paul, if you heard my side, it wouldn't relate well. In the same way, many of us would have a tendency to overlook what Jesus taught uh, when he was on that hillside, and he said to the audience, don't worry about tomorrow. To which you and I want to say, hey, can I tell you about my tomorrow? And we tell our tomorrow, and he's like, okay, don't worry about tomorrow unless you've got that going on tomorrow. You've got a pass, right? We like to think that, that what these guys have to give us for guidance and counsel may not relate to our current situations, but regardless of how bad I struggle with some of the things that Paul says today, I have to remember something. As he writes this letter, he is in chains to a Roman guard for four years. And my gut tells me when you're chained to a Roman guard in a room for four years, you know a thing or two about waiting. 
And so regardless of your story, which is big, regardless of my story, which is probably significant, it's not as significant as this. And so let's ask the question, when's the last time you found yourself in a waiting room? Uh, Let's just speak medically for a second, because I bet a picture like this resonates with many in this room. Does this look familiar? Let's say it's someone that you love, someone that's a family member, and you find yourself in the confines of that square room with uncomfortable chairs, and the loved one that you care for, that you're there for, they're given a box, they're given a number, they're given a color. You didn't choose this, right? So you don't know how long you'll be there, right? But, but that box on that screen signifies your weight. The question is, like, like, what do you do when there's nothing you can do? What do you do when you're not sure how long you'll be in the room? My, myself, like in waiting rooms, just talking about this today, you know, I always get butterflies in waiting rooms. I do the stupidest thing in waiting rooms. Like, like I don't sit in chairs. I lay under chairs. And everybody's like, that's the nastiest place. I'm like, I don't care. You do you. Let me do me. All right. Um, everybody avoid the weird guy in the corner on the floor. Yeah, do. Give me space. Like, all right. It's, it's this, this, this thing that we all find ourselves in a waiting room. Because we don't know how long we'll be there, and we have no choice on how long it will last. I, I believe from the bottom of my heart, waiting is one of the hardest things we'll ever do. Let me give examples. Like some in this room, it's so hard when I write these things because I know people that are going through these things, and sometimes God brings you to mind, but sometimes it's just everybody's going through these things. Like some of you in this room right now, you know, you'd be happy to know if you had cancer. You'd be happy to know that you didn't have cancer. But you're miserable waiting to know whether or not you have cancer. The wait. Like, like some in this room, you're like, I'd be fine to know if my husband was leaving, if my spouse was staying. But, but I just can't handle the idea of any more, anymore of not knowing what's going to happen. And we, we find ourselves waiting. Like waiting is one of the most frustrating aspects of life. Understand that that waiting is frustrating, it's overwhelming, and it is infuriating. Don't think less of me for saying that. It just does. And waiting can take a toll on your soul. So let's ask the question today. How do you keep your heart healthy and your soul alive when you find yourself waiting? You have no idea how long it's going to last. Well, Philippians chapter 1, we pick up today in verse 12 through 24. Um, the backstory of these verses takes place in Acts chapter 21 through 28. Uh, Paul is taking the good news of Jesus, the message that, that Jesus died for our sins and was buried, that he rose from the dead and was seen. And because of that, everyone should trust, everyone should follow. Paul is taking that message everywhere he possibly can, and he goes back to Jerusalem. And when he heads to Jerusalem, he goes to the temple, and some of Paul's enemies are bothered. They make accusation, a mob stirs, he gets arrested, and Paul is taken to a little prison cell just north of Jerusalem. And there Paul finds himself in chains to prison guards for two years right there. I mean, you do the math, two years, that's equivalent to 104 weeks, right at 700 days. Then uh, through the remainder of Acts on that backstory, they, they put Paul in a boat because they're going to take him to Rome because after all, he shows that he's a Roman citizen and deserves a fair trial. You'll remember about four weeks ago, that they experienced a shipwreck. They get everything back together and then Paul finds himself in Rome and he's waiting on trial and he finds himself once again in a prison in Rome. Not two years now, it's a total of four. So that's 208 weeks 
That's 1,400 days. Same room, same window, same food, same chains, same view. Most likely about six different guys that he would be chained to. The way the Roman palace guard would do it, they worked in four-hour shifts, history tells us. So every fourth hour, someone new would get chained to the Apostle Paul, and they would do this 24 hours a day. So these men that were loyal to the emperor, loyal to Rome, they slowly became more and more familiar to the Apostle Paul. And today, you got to keep in mind that Paul is writing this letter from these chains. And to say he knows a thing about waiting is an understatement. Uh, Paul and us, we've got some things in common, right? We didn't ask to be here. Uh, We don't want to be there. And we don't know how long it'll last. And when Paul's case finally comes to trial, he doesn't know what's going to happen. Just like us. Like when something finally happens, we don't know what's really going to happen. The outcome could, could be different. He could serve more time. He could be released or he could be executed. So today, what I want to do as we read these verses is if you find yourself in a season of waiting and you want to make sure that your heart stays healthy and your soul stays alive to the things of God, when we read these verses from Paul, they give us a great perspective. And basically what he does is he breaks it down to two parts. He says, okay, let me tell you guys what's happening right now and let me tell you what could happen around the corner. But first he says, let me just talk about on behalf of right now. And he's writing this church, and as they're reading the letter, he lets them know, on behalf of right now, while any of us wait, but Paul shines the spotlight on himself, while I wait, there's still good opportunities. Like even in the confines of of a wall and and chains and, and really not much freedom, there are still great opportunities. Verse number 12, he says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. I mean, this is a guy that's made the choice to rejoice, no matter what. He said, here I am in this, in, this, in this cell, but God has allowed this or even caused this to create the movement of the gospel. In other words, he's saying, I'm stuck, but the message of God isn't stuck. He's like, I'm, I'm in chains. I'm chained, but, but the message of God isn't. He says, I'm waiting, but the message of God is moving. And what Paul is getting at is what's happening to me is actually being used to spread the message of the gospel. To which I want to say, okay, pal, will you tell us how? Because it doesn't look like things are going well. He gives you an inside peek inside the prison walls, verse 13. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard, and that's everyone that's watching over him. And to everyone else that I am in chains for Jesus. Like, since I'm here, he says, the whole palace guard, they know what's going on. There's always been someone at the other end of the chains throughout Paul's 24 hours of each day. And as I said earlier, history tells us every fourth hour, a new prison guard would take place. That meant you got six different guys on any given day, and they're watching and they're listening to Paul pray. They're able to read what Paul writes as he writes the letters of the New Testament. They're able to eavesdrop on what visitors say when they bring gifts to the Apostle Paul, gifts of encouragement from places like Philippi. They're able to watch Paul listen on the edge of his seat with empathy, even though he's the one in chains. They're able to watch Paul's attitude. This is members of the Roman guard. 
These are people that don't yet know Jesus, that don't love Jesus, and yet as they watch Paul, who's waiting, they're thinking, man, how does he do that? I want what he's got. And it's becoming clear to everyone around Paul that Paul is making the most of a waiting room experience. Verse 14, he says, And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. He's like, okay, let's not just talk about the prison guards that don't know Jesus. Let's talk about the Christians from other cities that are, that are visiting me in the prison of Rome. What's going to happen to them is all of a sudden they're getting confidence because they're watching how I'm handling a waiting room experience. A difficult circumstance that, that perhaps one day they think they won't be able to handle, but when they watch me handle it as I trust God, no matter what, the choice to rejoice, it's contagious. Meaning the idea that, that, that as they follow God, little do they know that in a couple years' time, Nero's fame is going to grow and Rome is going to be less, less than kind to the rest of the Christians in the Roman Empire. And Paul is thankful that they're catching what he's putting down. Paul reminds us that in a waiting room moment, sometimes courage is contagious. So while you wait and while I wait, and while we learn to trust God properly by, by, by doing the right things when we wait, understand Paul has high hopes during his wait. Number one, that believers will develop courage. I mean, 2 Corinthians 1, I have shared this with so many of you. When, when we went through some things that we went through, it didn't matter if it was a transition to become the next pastor of this church, didn't matter if it was some of Jenny's diagnosis. Uh, there is a series of so that's in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7. The God of all hope, the God of all comfort, that it happened to us, and it gives courage and strength to others that go through the similar situations. And then all of a sudden, others that are watching them handle it, it gives courage and confidence to others that are going through their season of wait. So Paul has high hopes. Number one, that the Christians would be courageous. And number two, that the non-Christians, they'd get curious. Like they see how he responds, how he listens how he still writes and how he still prays. And they're like, man, I may not believe in that stuff, but I can't deny something's going on inside of him. Let me show you how, how significant Paul's response in the prison was. Listen to Philippians 4, verse 21. At the end of the letter, he gives us greetings. He says, greet all God's people in Jesus, the brothers and sisters who are with you. Send greetings. Those are the people that receive courage. Now look at the next verse. Verse 22, all God's people here send you greetings. Look here. Especially those who belong to Caesar's household. That's these guys. After four years of being with Paul, Paul's like, hey, church, I got news for you. Some of the Christians, man, they just grew, grew in courage. But those that weren't Christian in Caesar's household, the palace guards... They greet you as well. Finally, their curiosity caught up with them, and they learned to trust Jesus. I got a question for you. Would you want to make a difference in the family members of the royal family, right? Think about what it took for Paul to do that. It took a season of waiting. It took a season of difficult circumstances. And I love the Apostle Paul. I love this passage because Paul gives an unusual response because he's asking himself an unusual question. Here's the usual question. I ask this question a lot when I'm waiting. When in the world am I going to get out of this? 
It's the same question your kids ask when you go on a car ride. Like, how much longer? When are we going to get there, right? That's the usual question. That's common sense. But Paul asks an unusual question. He's like, look, as long as, long as I'm here, what is it that I can do to honor Jesus? Like, I'll do my best to demonstrate courage in hopes that it's contagious. And while I'm at it, I'll do my best to honor God so that so the people that don't yet know about Jesus, so that people that don't yet love Jesus might be curious and willing to take another step. The next couple of verses as he's writing to the church of Philippi, he goes on a little tangent and he starts highlighting different, different leaders and different ministry leaders across the area. And he talks about their motives in ministry. Like, I, I, crazy. You know, like Paul's in chains and he's writing about others. He's like, there's some people that, aren't, that are out there that are doing ministry and they're not doing it for good reasons. Motives are impure. He said some... They're doing it for selfish ambition. Some of it, uh, it's for attention. Some of it, like they're, they're competitive. It's rivalry. And then he said, some are doing it out of love. So, so Paul just puts it on the table. But then Paul says, you know what? I don't really care why they're doing it. Listen to this, verse 18. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Jesus is preached. And because of this, I'm going to rejoice. No matter what. No matter what that church is doing or this guy's doing or those people are doing, no matter what, I'm just going to choose to rejoice because the name of Jesus is being pushed out. Remember, we've defined this throughout the series. Joy, the choice to rejoice, is an obsession on the goodness of God which expresses itself through gratitude and praise even in extreme pain or deep disappointment. And even when you find yourself in a lengthy, lengthy season of waiting. So Paul first talks about waiting, and he says, all right, there, there's some good things that are happening right now. But then he talks about what, on behalf of what's right around the corner. Because if you're reading this letter from the Apostle Paul, the, the Church of Philippians, as you're reading this, you're not sure what's going to happen. He spent more time than you can imagine in jail, and this one doesn't look good. It's in Rome. You're thinking through the scenario, I don't know if he's going to get out. I don't know if he's going to serve more time. Chances are pretty good he might lose his head. So Paul is literally at a fork in the road. Paul's trying to come to a decision about how do I fix my thoughts on what's around the corner? Because I don't know if it's going this way. I don't know if it's going that way. He says this in verse 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. But I'll have sufficient courage so that now as always, Jesus will be exalted in my body. Whether by my life or my death. Meaning if... Best case scenario, however, if I get released or if I get put to death. Either can happen. I just want to make sure the message of Jesus keeps going. And this is Paul's perspective while he's in the prison. It's the thing that he's thinking about all the time. Here's a question for all of us in this room. What happens when you find yourself at the fork in the road and you have no idea which direction it will go? Paul reminds us to honor God no matter what happens. Some of you in the room perhaps are dealing with a diagnosis and there's questions. You don't know if it's going this way. You don't know if it's going this way. Play through the scenario. What would it look like for me to honor God either way? Some in this room are start, starting a business and, and you've put a whole lot of time, effort, and energy and risk into something. You're at a fork in the road. You, you're not sure if it's going to go this way. You're not sure if it's going to go this way. You play through the scenario while you wait. What would it look like? What could it look like if I were to honor God to the best of my abilities, if it went this way or that way. Some of you in this room, perhaps marriage issues. 
You finally came to the conclusion, look, we're going to go through counseling. You've called the church. We've paired you up with the right people. You don't know what it's going to look like because you don't even know if your spouse will show up. Say your spouse shows up. Say they don't show up. What would it look like at a fork in the road if, it, if you're not sure it's going to go this way or you're not sure it's going to go this way? Like, what would it go? Either way, no matter what, how can I honor God best? This is how Paul He's not just talking about right now that the believers would have courage and unbelievers would get curious. He says, down the road, when there's a split in the road, I just want to pray that I would honor God no matter what happens. He says it in verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And this perspective is not something that, that Tim Miller always has. Truth be told, I lose this perspective sometimes when I inherit a circumstance. Truth be told, I might have that perspective for me to live as Christ and to die as gain on Sunday. But give me a difficult Monday and a Tuesday, and by Tuesday night, things start to, to, to diminish. I want to talk for a second about a great exercise that all of us could do this week, just on your own. On time with Jesus, if you could just sit down and take three words from that verse, and you would put them on a sheet of paper, put them on a notes app, and simply write, to live is dot, dot, dot. Because Paul says, for, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But, but let's be honest. There are competed, competing agendas with this concept of living is Christ. I would encourage you to live is and to finish it with some of the weak moments that you have, the weak moments that I have. When life is trending up and to the right, when I have a positive attitude, when things are going well, honestly, some of us might say, well, to live is the weekend. To live is some time alone. To live is a vacation. To live is a positive quarter. To live is influence. To live is a relationship. I'm tired of being alone. To live is retirement. To live is to be financially stable. To, li to live is a clean bill of health that I've been waiting on so long. To, to live is to own my own business. To live is to have my own kids. The reason I encourage you to do this is because ultimately you're asking the question, what's competing with to live as Christ? Because Paul, he's like, to live is to Christ and to die is to gain. He's like, there is nothing competing so in a sense, you're asking the question, what's it like, real world in Tim's life, to live with, with Jesus Christ at the center? The amazing thing about the Apostle Paul, when you read these verses, these 13 verses, in Christ, Christ shows up nine times. It's because the Apostle Paul cannot get over what it's like to be in Christ and to be with Christ, especially in a season of waiting. It gives all the perspective in the world. He's obsessed with Jesus because of his story. So often we forget a story. Like, he wasn't always Paul, the great missionary. Years before, he was Saul, the man that was putting, doing his best to put to death the movement of Jesus. One of the first, first Christian martyrs was a guy named Stephen. And Paul coordinated Stephen's stoning like where they put him to death. Paul uh, gathered all the coats of all the men that were going to stone Stephen, uh, I guess to, 
to keep blood off the guys' coats and to help the guys pull back a little bit further when it came time to throw. Paul's got all the coats. And there's Stephen being put to death. And I can't help but admire when you read Acts chapter 7 and see Stephen's response and you listen to Peter's, to Stephen's prayer. I think we get a glimpse at what changed Paul. As each rock hit Stephen in the face, as he took his last breaths, as he prayed one more prayer, Saul's holding the coats, and Stephen prays, God, lay not this sin against these men. Stephen, in his last moments, prayed the very prayer that Jesus prayed on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I believe from the bottom of my heart, that prayer, God answered that prayer. And Saul of Tarsus became the greatest missionary named Paul. And Paul, I don't think he ever got over that moment. It's why he wants, no matter what happens, the good news of Jesus Christ, even in a season season of waiting, that he will honor God. Verse 23, he says it candidly, look, if I'm honest, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Jesus, which is by far better for me. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So he's like, all right, we get to the fork of the road. One's better for me and the other is better for you. But if I had my druthers, I'd be with him. By the way, what's crazy for Paul, on behalf of Paul wanting to go to heaven, here's something that he does that, 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 that we could learn from. Uh, Paul is not talking about what he's going to see when he gets to heaven. He's, he's talking about who he's going to be with. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with what we're going to see. Like, like I can't wait to see all the incredible things. And I love listening to music that highlights what we're going to see. Like Tyler Childress is about to release a new album where he's talking about, will my hounds go to heaven, right? It's fascinating. We, we get caught up in those things. But Paul, he's like, look, that, that's all neat, fine, dandy. But when your life has been changed the way Paul's life has been changed. He's like, I, I can't wait to see Jesus face to face. For me to live as Christ, to die as gain. Like, like, I just can't wait to see him. Because Jesus came for me. Jesus died for me. Jesus rescued me. Jesus forgives me. And that's why Paul's like, in a season of waiting, look, there's no such thing as worst case scenario. It's a win-win scenario. To live as Christ, to die as gain. As a matter of fact, while I'm living, I'm going to help this guy get some courage. And I'm going to help this gal get a little curious. And it's all tied to my attitude to the current season of waiting. You'll be encouraged to know that this is exactly what Jesus prayed for us. The night before he was executed, the night before he was arrested, he prayed this in John 17. Father, I want those you gave me to be with me right where I am so they can see my glory, the splendor that you gave me. I've made your very being known to them who you are, God, and what you do so that your love for me might be inside of them exactly as I am in them. And Jesus is praying for our joy to be made complete as love abides in us. What is joy? Joy is an obsession with the goodness and the grace of God that expresses itself in gratitude and praise even when you experience extreme pain, deep disappointment, or you find yourself stuck 
in a waiting room. As we close today, think about this. How do you keep your heart healthy and your soul alive when you find yourself waiting and waiting and waiting? I have a friend right now that's I love to death, and he's battling the terminal disease. And man, he, he rocks my world all the time. Anytime we talk, he asked me to pray one, for, one thing for him. He said, Tim, just pray one thing, that I don't waste this brain cancer. He's in a season of waiting. And on behalf of my friend, on behalf of the Apostle Paul, I just want to remind all of us, whatever you're waiting for, ready? Don't waste the wait. I want to ask something that goes kind of deep. I saved this for the end because this is something that I think we miss a lot when we're in a difficult season of waiting. Whatever it is you're waiting for. Ready? What if the work that God is doing in you while you wait is more important than whatever it is you're waiting on? Like what if... What if the work that God is doing through you while you wait is more important than whoever it is that you're waiting on? See, we get so caught up on the importance of what we're waiting on. But God is shaping something special inside of you that can handle any circumstance, no matter how long it lasts. What does it look like if you were to embrace the idea that God is doing something in you, in me, while I wait, that is way more important than the very thing that I'm waiting for. Today, with heads bowed and eyes closed, let's just let our brain stick there. Jesus, from the bottom of my heart, I, I know in a room like this, there are people that are waiting on some tough stuff. A wayward child, a decision, whether to move, whether to stay, a relationship, a broken relationship, a health report. Do I stay in this job? Do I take another job? God, there, there's, there's a room full of butterflies. People eat up with anxiety, all tied to waiting. And sometimes, God, we put all our hope in the very thing that we're waiting for. A guy, a girl, a breakthrough, a break. Sometimes we all put all of our hope and what we're waiting for. But God, what if right now we realize now more than ever that maybe the greatest work that you're doing is the work that you're doing inside of me while I wait. And it's much more important than what I'm waiting for. God, may I have an attitude like Paul, an attitude like Jesus, that realize while I wait, as long as I've got this attitude, that, that people are watching me, kids are watching me, Co-workers are watching me. Strangers are watching me. And may those who don't know Jesus get curious to my response. And may that those that, 
that have not yet faced what I'm facing, that do know Jesus, may you give them courage because courage is contagious. And Father, give me that eternal mindset. When I come to a split in the road, and I don't know which way will take me where. And I don't know where I'm going, but, but I know at the end of the day, no matter what happens, I will honor you on this path, and I will honor you on this path. God, may this room be a room filled with people that are learning to wait. And Father, my prayer is that maybe for the first time today, we start to see that the greater work that you're doing might be inside of us while we wait. And it might even be greater than the very thing that we find ourselves waiting for. Father, use this song to encourage us. I pray for the week ahead that is filled with wait. I pray that it would be tied to wonder. And we would understand that you're in control of all of those things. And so while we wait, I pray that we would continue to trust. And today I pray this in Jesus' name.